Well, happy Father's Day, everyone. How stuck in the 90s is this church? We are intentionally stuck in the 90s all summer. So throughout the summer, we're going to squeeze in as many uh, 90s songs as we can. We did the 80s last summer, so we like to have a little fun in the summertime. Fun is allowed in church, if you hadn't heard. So uh, we, again, are celebrating Trinity Sunday this morning. Um, Knowing God through the Father, the Spirit, and today, knowing God through the Son. Now, a lot of world religions have something like God the Father. And many world religions have something similar to God the Spirit. But Christianity is the only world religion that has something quite like Jesus Christ, God the Son. In fact, if you look at those uh, church creeds like we recited at the beginning of service that outline the basic beliefs of Christianity, the bulk of them are about who Jesus is. In some cases, what Jesus is. Where did he come from? What's, what's, uh, who is he to us? And if also, if you look at the ancient church heresies and the heretics and the great arguments of church history, you know what a heresy or a heretic is? So there's flexibility in, in beliefs in Christianity because it's difficult. But if your belief goes way too far to one side or the other, then the church can declare that a heresy, which means if you're in that camp, that's too far outside to still be called Christian. And if you look at the ancient church heresies, most of them uh, had to do with uh, thinking odd things about who Jesus was and taking that too far. We'll take a look at a couple. So if you, um, so what we believe with God the Son, what we have is the most knowable part of God, or if you prefer, of the mystery of who God is, Christ the Son is the least mysterious part of God. And that is, uh, I shouldn't say part of God, I should say person of God, the least mysterious person of God. And that is completely intentional on God's part. If you go to the upper room um, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he says this to the disciples. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, oh, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. The Apostle Paul agrees. He wrote in a letter to Corinthian, uh, to the Colossians, rather, in chapter 2, these words. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That's who Jesus is. What you have in Jesus is the most knowable person of God. Now, if that's true, then knowing Jesus is very important. In fact, knowing Jesus is the most important thing in all the universe, if that is the most knowable person of God. If that's not true, then really all of this is a huge waste of our time. I mean Christianity, I mean the church, I mean all of it. If Jesus is not a person of God, then what are we all doing here? Now, some folks will say, oh, Christianity church is kind of a nice thing. It's kind of a nice option to add into life. If life is a piece of pie, Christianity makes a nice slice to have in there. Um, That's the only thing that it can't be. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it best. He says, 
Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And you don't have to decide this morning if you believe that Jesus is the most knowable person of God. You don't have to decide this morning if all this is of infinite importance or no importance. But why don't we spend the next 20 minutes just examining that question? What if Jesus is the most knowable person of God and knowing him is the most important thing? What would that be like for you, for me? So if Jesus is indeed the most knowable person of God and knowing him is the most important thing, who is he? As a being, we'll start out saying, as a being, Jesus has two complete natures. He is fully human. He is human in every way that someone can be human. But he is also fully God, we say, or fully divine. He is, as Paul said, all the fullness of God in a human body. So he is divine in every way that he can be divine. And if you look at those ancient heresies we were talking about, most of them were messing around with this part. Now, in the very ancient church heresies, they usually tried to say that Jesus wasn't very human. It bothered them to think that God would come to earth. So they would say things like, Jesus only looked human. Jesus only act, acted human. Jesus um, was only human uh, for a little bit there at the end. Uh, Jesus was uh, divine and then turned back into human just in time to die. So they would try to spread that apart. And the church came together and said, no, he was fully human in every way that someone can be human. If you look at the more modern heresies, we tend to go the opposite direction and say that Jesus wasn't very divine. He was just a guy, a smart guy, but just a guy, just uh, another person that God might have used to say something important, but not divine, not very divine. And so why does this matter? Why so much fussing about this for 2,000 years? That Jesus have two full natures, fully human and fully God. If Jesus is fully human, then first of all, he is someone who really knows us. Jesus, if he's fully human, becomes someone who grew up poor, as some of us did, who lived through a small war in his homeland and knows what trauma is. I mean, there was a morning when Jesus was four years old that he went out into the front yard and Mary went out in the front yard and went (gasps) and grabbed him because the road from Nazareth Jerusalem was lined with crosses with people hanging on them. They took every tree off of a hillside to make crosses. That's a grisly thing for a child to grow up in. Jesus becomes someone who went through puberty. I mean, isn't it nice to know that God knows what hell that is? That he understands? Jesus is someone who had to find a job as an adult. Jesus is someone who got into a fight from time to time with his mother. One of them's recorded in scripture. I bet they're both really glad that got preserved for all of time. Jesus is someone who had his friends stab him in the back. Jesus is someone who knew he was going to die and did not want to. Now, there's a lot of other things that Jesus being human brings us, but we're just going to sit with this one for a moment. And that is why when we read about Jesus in the Bible, the first thing that strikes us is he's so non-judgmental. We come expecting God to be so angry and so judgy. And then we read Jesus and we think he's not, he doesn't come across that way at all. And that is because Jesus has been where we are and Jesus knows. And isn't it nice sometimes when you're going through something just to get to talk with someone who's been through it too. And Jesus is that. 
But Jesus is also fully God. And why does that matter? Because that means he has the authority to tell us what God really wants. So some of us get scared sometimes that maybe this whole Jesus thing is kind of a soft sell. And then we're going to find out at the end, nope, God really was really, really ticked off and angry. And now you're going to get fried for it. But Jesus being fully divine means he has the authority to do it. When he says God is not that way, he did not come to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He has the authority to make that stick because he's also fully divine. God can forgive our sins at a cosmic level. So if Jesus is fully divine and says that your sins are forgiven and my sins are forgiven, then they are forgiven. Even if we don't feel worthy of it, even if we don't forgive ourselves, Jesus is able to say, well, God does in fact forgive you. Let's start there. If Jesus is fully divine, he can defeat all evil and there is no escape. So unlike a lot of the TV shows that I actually enjoy watching, uh, this world is not really the devil versus God, all right? Uh, The devil, demons, whatever that is, those are just other beings, I mean, spectacular to us, but other beings, as there may be all kinds of beings in the universe, who knows? But they're all under the authority of God. They're not equal to him or really doing a serious battle that they could win. And so they're under the authority of Christ as well. Jesus can defeat death. He has the power to defeat death if he's fully divine. Jesus, if he's fully divine, can make us ironclad promises. If he says you will have eternal life, then you will have it. If he says the spirit of God will come and dwell in you, then it will. If Jesus says that you and I are forgiven, then we are. He can guarantee those things to us. Jesus can decide how and when justice is served. So there's a lot of people right now in the world getting away with all sorts of evil little deeds. But as our creed said, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead and he'll be a righteous judge and he'll set all things right and no one can bribe him, sneak past him or go unnoticed because he is fully divine. He can also decide who receives mercy. Now, I'm one of those people who have done some of those evil deeds that I can't just make right by saying, I'm really, really sorry. And so I stand here saying that Jesus said I could receive mercy from him. And so I need that because he's fully divine. He says that I'll get that. He says that you will get that too. So if knowing Jesus is the most important thing in the universe, who is he? Jesus Christ is our brother. Being his lineage coming from human, that makes him also our brother. He's firstborn over all creation, the Bible says. He's the first fruit of the resurrection, the Bible says. Uh, It's a passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone else dies, or just because everyone, let's just start again. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, that's Adam and Eve, right? Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So Jesus is a guarantee of what God intends for us. 
He's our older brother. Now, I am the oldest brother in our family, so I don't experience this, but I've heard a lot of people say, it's nice sometimes to have an older brother or sister who go first and kind of show you how things are going to go, how they're going to turn out. That's who Christ is to us. He has gone first into death and into the resurrection, so we can say, what's that like? Can that really happen? Does that happen? And Jesus, we can say, our, our brother has been through that, and we're next. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Now, I don't, I'm not going to repeat Dan's excellent message on Jesus, Lord and Savior, and how we hold that together. But if you'd like to hear more on that, um, visit our podcast on our website. Pastor Dan preached on this on January 27th. January 27th, if you want to peck that in somewhere. For Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. It was a fine, fine message. Uh, I'll say this to Jesus being Lord and Savior. It's been very popular in the church for the, for the last 20 years, church around the world, for the last 20 years to say that we are not putting enough emphasis on the life and the teaching of Jesus, that we're putting too much focus on his death on the cross. Um, and I'll say, I agree with that. I agree with that. As a church, we're putting, we've put not enough emphasis on Christ's uh, teaching and his ministry the conversations he had, the relationships he had. You know, 25 chapters out of Matthew's 28 are on the life of Jesus. 13 chapters of Mark 16 are on the ministry of Jesus. 21 chapters of Luke's 24 are on the relationships and the people that Jesus met and interacted with. 17 chapters of John's 21 are on conversations that Jesus had and miracles that he did. And there is a rich identity of Jesus when we study his life. You find out that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord of nature. He commands nature many times in those passages. He is Lord of the spirit world. All evil spirits cringe before him and obey his commands. Uh, Jesus is Lord of the scriptures. He shows how all of the promises of the Old Testament culminate in him and point toward him. You find that he's Lord when you study his life, his teachings, his relationships. When you study that part, you also find Jesus is the revealer of God's character. He's showing us who God is and what God is like. When you study how Jesus spoke to people, you're seeing how God would speak to people. When you're seeing uh, uh, how Jesus handles difficult situations, you're seeing how God wants difficult situations handled. Which brings us kind of naturally into Jesus being a model for how to live as a person. Um, Jesus' forgiveness. If you want to see how to forgive, watch Jesus forgive. And Jesus' compassion. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that the world has no time for, doesn't pay attention to, puts down. Maybe you're one of those people. You want to see how compassion acts. See how Jesus is compassionate on people that the world has no time for or interest in. Jesus becomes a model of morality and behavior for us when we study his life. But, and this is a big but, my history teacher used to do that and we'd all just laugh, but you guys have matured a lot since high school, I suppose. (laughs) Didn't laugh at first service either, but I rolled it out again, just in case. (laughs) But, I want to say, 11% of Matthew does focus on just two-tenths of a percent of Jesus' life. 12.5% of Luke is just on the last week of his 30-some years of life. 19% of Mark, that's like a fifth of the book, that's our oldest gospel, is on the death and the resurrection on the cross. 
uh, from the empty tomb, death on the cross, resurrection from the tomb. And also a fifth, about, about 19% of John, and that's our newest gospel, also emphasizes this fact that Jesus went to the cross to perform a redemptive act. So after in his life being our Lord and the revealer of God and the model of our living, he actually takes all those things and makes them complete and full on the cross. Now he is the perfect Lord. On the cross, he can defy the enemy that none of us can defy, death. That makes him Lord of all creation. He will defeat the devil and all evil on the cross. They can no longer accuse us before God. The case is completely decided by Christ on the cross. He will be, reveals the love of God on the cross that will do anything. It will make a way for us. What humanity could not do for itself, Christ did for us on the cross. And that role that we saw in his life of being the revealer of God, on the cross you see that magnified. On the cross you see who God really is and what God is really like and who God really cares about and how all-powerful and all-loving the love of God is on that cross. And the model for how to be human on the cross, that's just taken to its fullest extent. We said Jesus was a model of forgiveness in his life. While he's being nailed to the cross, he forgives the people who are driving the nails. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he can forgive them in that moment, he can forgive you and I or whatever our worst moment is. And compassion, Jesus' compassion is perfect on the cross. In our case, Jesus went to the cross before we had even begun to sin, without even needing to see what we're going to be up to. He made a way for our forgiveness to happen. And morality and behavior, ask yourself this, what problem are we having in the world right now that couldn't be solved if both sides were just more willing to die to our own selfishness, suffer a little for the sake of others. What world problem could we not solve if everybody involved followed the model of Christ on the cross? What interpersonal problem are you having in your family right now? Don't you talk about that stuff on Father's Day? <laughs> but what interpersonal problem are you having that wouldn't be solved if both of you were just more willing to die to our own selfishness and suffer a little for the sake of someone else or suffer a lot for the sake of someone else as Jesus did on the cross. If, so I'm not saying today that we need to choose emphasizing Jesus' life or emphasizing his death and resurrection. I'm saying it's all part of who Jesus is and God is revealed in all of it. If knowing Jesus is the most important thing, who is he? This one's a little more up in the head. Maybe you'll like this. Maybe you won't. If not, pick one of the earlier ones. Uh, Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our mediator. So God the Son is kind of there between all of humanity and all of God. And when we look at Jesus, we see all of God. The Bible says that. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or we have all the fullness of God in a human body. So he is, represents all of God to us. And we can see in him all the things we've been discussing. But here's an interesting one. From God's point of view, Jesus represents all of humanity. When God looks at humanity, standing right out there in front is our brother, Christ Jesus. And God says, that's what I was trying to make the whole time. 
That's what I wanted the whole time. So you guys know that I love science fiction and a certain amount of horror movies if they're tastefully done. And so there's, there's one theme, right, in all episodes of Supernatural or all episodes of, of you know, uh, pick your alien invasion movie. Somebody's finally going to say, you humans, you're the scourge of the universe. You're the worst thing that ever happened to it. You're a huge mistake. You're a plague. You're locust. And, you know, you kind of look around. And you're like, hmm, that's pretty hard to argue with, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. So that's tough to argue with. So then what's the rest of the movie about? Humanity has to do something to try to prove that it has like at least one good character quality that makes it worth surviving. Or at least one good person who can do the right thing that says it's possible evidently for humans to exist in the universe. So those are fictional stories that we keep telling ourselves over and over again because we're so disappointed with how we've turned out. But Jesus is the real answer to that problem who comes and says this is what humanity can be. Everything we couldn't do for ourselves, Jesus does. And when God looks at humanity, he says, there it is. It can be done. This is a, a people worth living forever. In fact, if you will all try to live as he lived, then let's have eternal life. And I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to help you do that. So that's the real story that makes all those other stories seem so true to us. He is our mediator before uh, God. He represents all of people. Before people, he represents all of God. So if knowing Jesus is the most important thing in all the universe, then we're going to have to find a way to get to know him for ourselves, each of us here, to know Jesus for ourselves. How do you do that? Our first point of access to Christ Jesus is the scriptures, is his story. So if you want to know Jesus, then, then read about his life, how he prayed, who he forgave, how he loved, how he spoke, and also his death and resurrection. And, and that is uh, just, you can make it your goal this summer to read the parts of the Bible that tell those stories. So don't start at the beginning and try to read through to it. it, it a lot of people crash and burn about Leviticus on that one. Um, but... Start here, about right here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm holding all four of them between my fingers. They're not that long. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read them this summer. If your small group's meeting this fall and you haven't uh, talked about what you're going to do yet, maybe someone suggests, why don't we pick one of these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and let's study that together and let's come to know God the Son. Now, there is another point of access we have to know God the Son a direct access that comes through God the Spirit, interestingly. So Jesus was in that upper room the night before the cross, and he says this, you can ask any, for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Now watch this. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus knows for his disciples to continue to be led by him. 
They're going to have to be with him, but he's about to go to the cross. He knows that we don't really have access to Jesus unless we lived in Palestine between the years 4 BC and about 30 AD, except that God's about to do something different. God is about to send the Holy Spirit, and here's his hint that it's going to be the Spirit of Christ living in us, because he says, you'll know him because he lives with you right now, And soon he'll live inside you and you'll see it's the same presence. And so the Holy Spirit becomes the presence of Christ and a way to know Christ ongoing now through all the world and to all places and through all times, even to now. And so now at this message, point in the message, everything is just how it should be. Because I'm talking about you want to know God the Father, you've got to see God the Son. And you want to really see God the Son, then you're going to have to have God the Holy Spirit who was sent by God the Father. And how is it possible the Spirit lives inside you? God the Son made that possible. Now we're right where we should be on Trinity Sunday. The Trinity of God is all tied up into one. And I can't talk about knowing one without talking about knowing the other. To know God the Father, you've got to see Christ the Son. To see Christ the Son, really, you've got to have Christ the Holy or God the Holy. It doesn't matter, does it? Christ the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. If you like Scooby Doo, um, you've got to have the one that the Father sent and the Son made possible. And you know that through the Spirit, it's all wound together. Some theologians call this the dance of the Trinity. That they swirl around and one points to the other and one reveals the other and one is the other. Now the, the great thing about that is that God invites us to come into that dance as well. While these concepts are a little hard to understand with our mind, he invites us to come into that dance and see if as you seek God the Father by looking at God the Son and he lives in you by the power of the Spirit who was sent by the Father who was made possible by the Son becomes real enough. You begin to experience being in that dance with the Trinity, the four of you. And then you really come to know God in all of his fullness. Let us stand together. We're going to try to enter into this dance together. So we're singing worship songs, but if you have an awareness begin to understand that in this moment, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into us and lets us sing these words about God and about the Son whom we see. The Spirit communicates to us about God and about the Son, and we're in the dance, and we're in this all together, and the church was brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just listen to some people's stories of how they came to be here. So we're in the dance in the moment if you're aware of what's happening in the room and inside you. And with the holy three who are one and the one who is three. Let's see if we can capture just a little bit of that in our, in our worship together. Amen.